Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, insights and analysis from the top minds in crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin. This episode is brought to you by QuantStamp. QuantStamp is building the first smart contract security auditing protocol designed to secure all smart contracts in a cost-effective and scalable manner. The technology is being developed by a team of PhDs with over 500 Google Scholar citations. To learn more or request an audit, visit www.quantstamp.com. This is the podcast where we hear from the top minds in crypto, what their uh, latest thoughts are. And if this does not sound like my normal opening, it's because I'm here at the Coin Alts Fund Symposium in New York City, and my computer has completely crapped out on me. So I cannot access the script that I normally write, but that's okay because I think I can wing this and it will be fine. My guest today is Don Wilson of DRW Holdings. Hello, Don. Hi, Laura. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, good to be here. So what is, what's been on your mind recently? Well, there's a ton of exciting stuff going on in the crypto space. And um, you know, I think right now, one of the things that we've been especially interested in and focused on is what's happening in the in the regulatory on the regulatory side of things. And when you say that, what has been interesting you? So, uh, you know, there's obviously right now a lack of regulatory clarity about how a lot of these tokens should be treated, about how cryptocurrencies should be treated, and uh, you know, there's kind of this ongoing dialogue from, uh, or in some cases, monologue from the regulators about. Um, about how to think about these things. And so I think that the really interesting evolution is what we're seeing on the SEC side of things um, and how Chairman Clayton has been, uh, you know, talking about this, how his, how his the description of the regulation of this has evolved over the last six weeks, let's say. And when you say that, what is that evolution? So, so specifically, you know, a, a while ago he was saying that any token that was created as a result of an ICO is a security. And, um, you know, of course, the big question is, you know, what are these things? Are they securities? Are they commodities? Are they something else? And uh, so that was, um, you know, that was one stance. I think a lot of people in the space viewed that as uh, as a pretty extreme stance, especially because none of these companies had followed any of the rules that you need to follow if you were doing a securities offering. And so it created a lot of uh, concern in the space. More recently, he uh, modified his, his stance a little bit, and he said tokens could be a security or they could be a commodity, and in fact they could evolve uh, across a continuum between those two between those two things, um, so I thought that was that was quite interesting, and and um, you know he used the example of a, a laundromat token, which I thought was a pretty compelling example. 
And so does that give you more hope for this space or make you more optimistic about uh, investment in this space to, to know that there could be some tokens that would be labeled as utility tokens? Yeah. And, and you know, Switzerland came out with this kind of proposed framework where they talk about, okay, there are three things. There are utility tokens, there are security tokens, and then there are straight cryptocurrencies. And I think that that's a, a really good way to talk about things. And my hope had been that, uh, you know, the U.S. regulatory environment would migrate into a kind of similar type of discussion. And I think that this is the beginning of that discussion as, um, you know, he described, you know, where how a laundromat token on the one hand could be a utility token or on the other hand could be a security. Um, and the example that he used was if you buy a laundromat token from a laundromat and you can then immediately use that token to wash your clothes and you don't need anything else from the laundromat owner or the token seller, then that's a utility token. On the other hand, if you buy some laundromat tokens from a laundromat that is yet to be established and the proceeds from the laundromat tokens are going to be used to purchase washing machines and maybe there's a hope or expectation that when the incoming freshman class uh, comes to campus that the uh, value of the laundromat tokens will appreciate then that's a security. Um, and so I think that's, that's great to kind of, you know, have, have a more clear discussion about that dialogue. And of course, the devil's in the detail. We need to kind of figure out where do you draw the line. And for you, I know you have a really deep background in traditional capital markets. Why are you so convinced that there is such a thing as utility tokens and that those would not be classified as securities? Well, I, I think... Just, just based on the way that the world works right now, there are lots of things that are that are viewed as uh, utility tokens, and or you know, air miles are not viewed as securities, um, and and so just because something is tokenized, shouldn't all of a sudden morph it into a into a security, even if it's issued in a in an ICO. Yeah, I mean, I you know maybe the maybe the name ICO is is pushing the boundary a little bit, but um, but that's right. And so when you were mentioning the other jurisdictions to see those kinds of regulations, like in Switzerland, um, what are there any other jurisdictions where you feel like that's you know sort of more interesting uh, regulation that you're seeing coming out of there, or any examples of uh, maybe how you think regulation should not go? Well, I, I think that uh, Switzerland seems to be the most advanced. Um, you know, obviously, Liechtenstein is trying to be very friendly in the space. Japan is very supportive of the space. I, I think that they are, uh, you know, going to be supportive of of ICOs. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of regulatory competition to try to get this right. Um, there are certainly examples of countries uh, that have just said, okay, we're you know, shutting this whole thing down and we don't want anything to do with this. I think that that's a really unfortunate outcome and we'll be, you know, those countries will be worse off for it. And what do you think is the effect of this regulatory uncertainty on the market? Well, I think that 
that one of it, it certainly just slows down the evolution of the market. It, it uh, makes it harder for things to be listed on exchanges because if you don't know what type of exchange to list it on, then of course it's hard to know what to list. Uh, it makes it harder for institutional investors, therefore, to access the space and to get comfortable with the space. So it just slows everything down. And what kinds of conversations are you having with institutional, institutional investors where they're indicating that, that hesitation? Uh, I mean, I mean, I think that's kind of the, that's the feedback that we hear is, you know, I mean, I mean, that's one of the things, right? It's, it's that it's, it's the overall infrastructure. It's, there's a lack of, of regulated exchanges. Uh, you know, the exchanges that are out there are, um, you know, not very robust. The, uh, there's a shortage of custody solutions, and the regulatory piece is just, you know, it's one piece of that puzzle, but one one piece of the puzzle needs to be solved to get institutions more comfortable about the space. And um, I know you also have thoughts around regulators and market participants working together. Are you seeing that in any fashion? And, and how do you think that should happen? Yeah, I, I think that there's there's certainly um, some dialogue with with uh, between market participants and regulators, and that's that's a really productive thing. I think that this is such a new space; it's like nothing we've ever seen before, and uh, there's so much going on, and it's hard for people who are even in the space twenty four seven to keep track of everything going on in it. So, uh, to expect a regulator to who you know has a day job doing other things as well to kind of get, figure all of this out on their own and get it all right is totally unrealistic. And for you, if you um, wanted to send a message to any regulators, I know some of them do listen to Mimi's podcast. What would you want to say? I, I think it's you know we're at DRW in Cumberland. We're excited about moving this market into a more transparent and, and regulated environment, and we're happy to help with that migration. Great. We're going to continue the discussion in a moment, but first a quick word from our sponsor, OnRamp. So since I don't have the ad copy in front of me, I will just tell you a story about how great OnRamp is. They were my first sponsor for Unchained, and they support, uh, supported me for a full year, and they do websites, they do branding, they do uh, logos, design, all that great stuff. I know they've helped a bunch of companies in the crypto space. They are huge advocates of this industry and of me and my podcast. And I really just want to thank them and also thank them for um, being totally chill with the fact that I'm totally reading a non-approved copy because I know that they will be very relaxed and cool with that. Founded in the aftermath of the DAO hack, QuantStamp is building the first smart contract security auditing protocol designed to secure all smart contracts in a cost-effective and scalable manner. Relying on humans to audit smart contracts is expensive and error-prone, and with the exploding growth of smart contracts, that solution just won't scale. The team at QuantStamp is developing a solution to audit smart contracts on the Ethereum network in an automated and decentralized way that can scale with the growing demand. Being built by a team of PhDs who collectively have over 500 Google Scholar citations, QuantStamp is paving the way for safer and more reliable smart contracts that will power the decentralized world. To learn more or request an audit, visit www.quantstamp.com. Um, and I'm talking with Don Wilson, CEO of DRW Holdings. 
Um, so something else I wanted to ask you about was I think you had a really interesting seat in the crypto world for 2017, which we know was such a pivotal year for the industry. How did that year um, start and begin for you and what changes did you see during that time? Well, so so one way of thinking about that year is that the price of Bitcoin started at $1,000 and at the end of the year it was at $14,000. So that price, of course, that price movement doesn't tell the whole story, but it tells part of a story. And what we saw during the year, and, and certainly at the beginning of the year, I wasn't sitting there saying, oh, I think Bitcoin's going to go up 14-fold this year. Um, I was bullish on it. I thought that it would go up. I thought that you know, there would be more people coming into the space and more evolution. Um, but I didn't think that it would behave quite like that. And so what we saw as the year went on was um, we the types of market participants who were interacting with Cumberland, our, our OTC desk, and kind of coming in and seeking liquidity started to change. Um, at the beginning of 2017, there were very few family offices and I don't know if there were, there might have been a couple of crypto hedge funds, but very small number of crypto hedge funds. And as the year went on, more and more family offices came in and said, you know, we want to get exposure to this and, and started buying. And more and more crypto asset, crypto hedge funds came into existence and onboarded with Cumberland and started participating in the market. So that was a big change from the beginning of the year where, you know, a lot of it was just kind of early crypto adopters and, and crypto exchanges and miners. And, and so big change. And it, just to be clear, because maybe not all the listeners know, but your firm runs like an over the counter operation where people can make really big orders and, and buy themselves. Is that what they were coming in for? That, that's right. Yeah. Cumberland is, is an OTC, uh, you know, liquidity provider. So people who want to trade, we, we don't do transactions below $100,000. So people who want to get meaningful exposure to the space can come and transact with us. We're a principal trading firm. So we take principal risk on, on these. We take the other side. We're not a broker. Um, and um, so so that's right. People who you know, want to buy large chunks. Often it's hard if somebody wants to buy, you know, $50 million of Bitcoin. Um, it's hard to do through the exchanges. It takes a long time to piece it together. The infrastructure just isn't really set up for this. This is a way of doing it without having to put a bunch of assets on exchange and have um, kind of counterparty risk to the exchanges. You can hold your own wallets and uh, custody your own coins um, and then just transact with us and we settle the, settle the trades immediately. And how many coins do, do you offer? Because I imagine some of the hedge funds maybe might want sort of more exotic tokens. Do you offer kind of, you know, the, the recently I see tokens or anything like that? So we, um, we support most of the top 30 by market cap, not all of them. We stay away from things that we believe are securities uh, because obviously, if they are securities, um, they haven't gone through kind of a traditional uh, offering process. And, and so, you know, but the ones that we think are are cryptocurrencies, um, you know, or perhaps our utility tokens are are ones that we're willing to provide liquidity in, um, in unless we see other, you know, some other problem with them. 
And um, how do you make money? Is it on the spread? Like you, you give slightly different exchange rates to the two sides and then make money that way? Uh, that's right. So... Um, so we make a, we make a price and, and the way that we make money is by, um, by, you know, buying below where we sell. Um, so, you know, it's a pretty transparent market. Everybody can see, you know, where things are trading and, um, our markets are, are tight and competitive. Um, but if you are going to sell, then the price you get is lower than if you're going to buy. And at what volume, uh, do you typically do? Um, so we, we don't kind of publish the volumes that we do regularly, but, but we are, you know, certainly one of, uh, the, the largest, uh, crypto traders in, in the space. And what have you been seeing in 2018? Obviously we've seen this big downturn in the markets. Um, how has that affected kind of who your customers are, what they want to do, your volumes, all other sorts of things? Yeah. So when the market's going up, it's a lot more fun and there's a lot more volume. Um, when the market's going down, people tend to trade less. Uh, you know, that's not uncommon. Uh, so, you know, it, at first I was, I was skeptical of, you know, some people said that the reason for the downturn at the beginning of the year was that people had big tax liabilities and they needed to sell crypto in order to raise fiat to pay taxes. And first I was kind of skeptical of that. But as I, as I talked to more people in the space, I found that quite a few people were, had originally taken the position that if you, you know, sell Bitcoin and buy ETH and then sell ETH and buy Bitcoin cash, that, uh, that those were tax-free exchanges. And when the IRS clarified which was a surprising position to me, but but when the IRS clarified that that wasn't the case, that you had to recognize your gains, I think that all of a sudden people, um, you know, their accountants told them, mm, you've got a big tax liability, especially because these coins had appreciated so much. And so I think that that probably was a, a reason for the selling. And of course, you know, I don't think that it's an accident that or that the low was right before taxes were due. We'll see. Maybe we'll see new lows again, but but um but we certainly rallied significantly after um you know April, I guess the low was probably uh April tenth or something. So pretty close to tax day. Okay, interesting. I mean the uptick hasn't been huge. I mean I granted we're only a few days out from tax day, so maybe it's too soon to tell. Well in, in some of them we've seen eighty percent rallies. Oh okay. Um, Okay. Yeah, yeah I guess I don't follow the markets that closely. Are those some of the smaller coins? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think Stellar, the low was probably 19.5 cents, and now it's trading like 36 cents. Um, you know, Bitcoin, the low was, I don't know, 6,200, and now it's trading 8,200. I mean, so it didn't double or triple, but, but that's a pretty big move in a short period of time. And then also this year, you know, we talked about the difference in the customers over the year of 2017. What are you seeing so far in terms of who is trading through Cumberland in 2018? You know, so far it's a pretty similar mix to what we saw in the second half of 2017. And there is lots of talk of institutions coming in and, and we're certainly interacting with some of the larger institutions. But uh, so far it's mostly been talk. And when you say large institute, like what are some examples of those? Um... You know, uh, uh, pension funds, um, 
you know, very large asset managers, um, endowments. And any predictions you want to make for the rest of 2018? Or if not predictions, just sort of where you see the trends going now and where you think we're going to end up um, for the course of the year? Uh, I, I mean, I'm... I'm generally bullish in the space. I think that uh, I think that this will be a good year. I think that uh, we will see better infrastructure come out. Um, you know, BitGo uh, buying Kingdom Trust is an important development, and and so the ability for people to hold their hold their coins at a at a real custodian is is an important part of the ecosystem. Um, and so I think that that as this infrastructure is built, as we get more regulatory clarity, that you will see more participation in the market. Great, on the institutional side. Yeah. Perfect. Well, for those of you who did not hear my Unchained podcast with Mike Belshi of BitGo, we talked about the significance of the Kingdom Trust acquisition. So you should go check out that episode and understand why having a qualified custodian in this space is so important, especially to institutional players. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you would want to mention today? No, I, I think that covers it. Um, you know, I, I think one thought to just kind of leave everybody with is that this is this is a really exciting time in the space. And as the infrastructure gets built out and as we get more regulatory clarity, they, uh, you know, the upside to all of that is significant. And, you know, in that we will be able to, um, you know, facilitate the growth of the space and enable trustless, decentralized interactions in a way that we've never seen before. I think that it's going to result in um, all sorts of innovation that's super exciting that will, assuming, you know, assuming that we can do this in the United States and get regulatory clarity here that will result in meaningful economic growth and, and exciting new ideas happening here. Well, let's hope. I agree. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. For those of you who are not already following me on Twitter, you can follow me at Laura Shin. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Elaine Zelby, Factor Recording, Jenny Joseph, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.